This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. Um, for anyone who's old enough, there was this awful moment in 2005 where everyone, for some reason, cared about Common because there were like three great Kanye beats on this Common album and I still just can't see any reason to give a shit about Common. But it, there was just this one amazing beat that was like a definitive early noughties Kanye that was just plinky piano insane drums and it's the only thing i care about in my life these days just (laughs) and then our favorite sydney crew of the time spit syndicate did a song on it featuring another sydney mc the tongue and just basically it's what i need in my life these days so hopefully today is going to be pretty much a common episode shag is that is that what we've got queued up and have we got spit syndicate coming along it's going to be a very common heavy show i imagine But no, look, so if you do enjoy music the same way Peach does, you really should be following our guest on TikTok and all of her socials because for for both Laneway, the festival that she works for, but as well on her own accord, she's always sharing really amazing songs and there's many reasons why we wanted her back, but one of the reasons is because I keep stealing music from her. So Ruby Miles... Welcome back to Spooker. Ruby. I keep stealing music from you. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, I follow your If You Know You Know playlist. It's been plugged on Spooko a couple of times. Yeah, not enough times. If you not know enough. you know, go follow the playlist. <laughs> it's the best one of all. No, but seriously, I think, you know, there are so many failings of this podcast, but one of the things I think we we don't do well enough, we wait till the very end of the episode to be like, where else can we find? Like, you know, like it's the start of the episode. Ruby, before we get into it, plug yourself. Where can we find you on Insta? What what amazing things are you doing that we mm. should be following? Yeah, 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 yeah. My main Insta is Mooby Riles, which is a spoonerism of my name. Yes. And... Um, I do, with work with Laneway, I do track of the week where I make these TikToks where I kind of pick out songs that are good and talk about them. And they are getting, I would say, similar to Spooko numbers on TikTok. They're getting, you know, (laughs) they're just cracking the tens, which is very exciting. Yes. Uh, Absolutely cleaning up over there. Um, But yeah. It's really fun. So go check that out. Check out the Laneway socials. This isn't a Laneway plug podcast, but I'm on there a lot. Hopefully music festivals will happen soon. And then I can plug that. <laughs> I mean, we're lucky because you're not but like, mm. I mean, it sucks that you're not busy because music festivals are all sort of canned at the moment. But mm. we're lucky that we yes. can grab some of your time for yeah, Spooko. Yeah. Thank you, Ruby. Yeah, I'm so free. I'm also, I think I would say the the biggest 
Spooko fan. So this is just like having a the the number one fan guest on the podcast. Oh, Ruby, this is very kind. But, um... <laughs> Look, I feed on praise like a vampire, so Ruby, thank you. But I want to ask you a question. Mm. So, Ruby, are you at all a fan of Mario Kart? Um, yeah, I'm really good at it. Wait, but only... Uh, on like the new switch oh it's all the it's the same whichever machine you play it on it's basically the same game i the first couple of dates that i went on with my now partner i was like oh i'm i'm really good at mario kart and he was like yeah yeah me too whatever i'm like no like i think i'm i think i'm like really good and he was like all right all right and it was kind of kind of flirty kind of cute kind of whatever and then i got him over to my house to play mario kart and i destroyed him and i was kind of like oh, like i don't want to i don't know impact Look, your male, masculinity male so yeah like male fragility like fuck like. i was like oh you know if you if you want to play me in smash bros like i'm really bad at that oh god i'm so sorry about the patriarchy ruby oh fucking hell but I, but i also love it that you used it as a lure to bring someone home but then <laughs> You were actually doing it to beat him and to be like, no, no, no. I wasn't, like, that wasn't flirting. I just wanted to show you that I'm amazing at it. No, you can leave now. I just wanted to kick your ass. Oh, it's so good. Um, well, look, the reason I bring this up, Peach and I, when we were younger, used to play Mario Kart on one of the older systems. And Peach had this very toxic behavioral trait that he yes. would do pretty much every game. So mm-hmm. if Peach wasn't winning... As like when well, we were just about to cross the finish yeah, line, yeah. Peach would turn off the machine. If I was if I was just about to lose, <laughs> yeah, so, like it Peach. wasn't that if I was not winning, <laughs> it would be a surprise every time because who the fuck does that? And so the first time we were like, oh, well, Peach, and then it just got to a point where it's like it was annoying, and then I think it became funny again. Peach, you clearly remember this behavior. Can you tell me why you used to do that? Well. Uh, yeah, I was 16, I think is a good is a good place to start. <laughs> so I was a 16-year-old boy. Um, and if you guys are around, I was a drunk 16-year-old boy is, is probably useful context. And so 23 years ago, I would have found that pretty funny. And today, I still find it pretty funny. <laughs> it's the OG rage quit. Yes, it is. Fuck this. I'm out of here. Just and then turn I turn off it back the console. on and be like, don't worry, like, we'll just start, we'll just, we'll, we'll just do it again. As 50 Cent says, you know, as we've quoted on this podcast before, if they ever say we lose, we'll start it again. So, back we go. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I love how none of 50 Cent's quotes mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the car the other day and I was like, oh, I think I've got a good life aphorism that, you know, someone like mm. I could sell to someone like 50 Cent. So I'm going to pitch this to you guys. Yep, what do you wait. think about this one? I don't know if someone's already done this one before. Mm. Life doesn't stop until it does. Ooh. <laughs> Is that like because you die? Yeah. Because you die. So it like never stops, but then you die. And then you, you should have appreciated the fact that it never stops. So if you're still drawing breath, you should be getting into, you know, believing in your dreams and <laughs> but opening up a social media consultancy. <laughs> All right, all right, okay. So the reason I brought up Mario Kart is mm. because today today's <laughs> film is sort of tangentially linked to a very popular genre of video game right now. So are we doing Doom? No, we're not doing Doom. <laughs> <laughs> Ding. 
<laughs> no, no, no. But we're at, we're not doing a super well heard of film, but it's a really good one. I'm actually really excited about today's one. So a, a, a couple of years ago, there. Well, in fact, more than a couple of years ago, maybe like a couple of decades ago, maybe when there was uh, young a, Peach, back back when Young Peach was turning off Super Nintendo. Back when Peach was being a dickhead. <laughs> There was a Japanese novel that was turned into a film called Battle Royale about a bunch of students that were forced to kill each other. Now, that since spawned a genre of video games called Battle Royale, the most popular of which is Fortnite, Fortnite. which everyone's heard of, right? Yes. Uh, are you a Battle Royale? Are you a Fortnite player at all, Ruby? Absolutely not. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I, I could get into it later, but uh, no, nah, doesn't doesn't tickle me. I, I guess the main uh, thing to know about a battle royale is the rules are very simple. Mm. It starts with usually like a hundred people, and the game ends when there's only one left. And there's only one left because everybody kills each other till there's only one left. Fortnite style. And this film is basically a film version of a battle royale. And uh, it, I know it's funny me saying that because there is a film called Battle Royale. We're not doing Battle Royale. But anyway, so look, confusion aside, I'm really excited about this because this is one of those films where there's a lot of really cheap, crappy-looking horror films that star a tangential celebrity that you're like, oh, I know that person. And you see the preview and you're like, this looks like garbage. It can't be good, but whatever. And then you watch it and you're like, okay, wow, that was amazing. I need to tell everyone about this. So today we're doing a film that I wanted to tell everyone about. So we're doing it in Spooko. Uh, Ruby and Peach, today we're doing a film from 2016 called The Belko Experiment. The Belko Experiment. Belko is a non-profit organization that facilitates American companies in South America. All employees... Lend me your full attention. Hey, it's Jesus. Your chance of survival increases by following my orders. Your task is simply this. Kill three of your co-workers, or we will kill six others. Hey, all the lines dead. We need to evacuate the floor. Hey, come on, it's a joke, man. Hey, listen up, everybody. Whoever's doing this, they're having a little fun at our expense. to discuss all our options. We do not have the right to take innocent human lives. We don't need no more weapons. We need to work together to get the hell out of here. In two minutes, we want 30 of you dead. If 30 of you are not dead, we will end 60 of your lives ourselves. Five. Four. Three, two, one. At the end of the day, people are out for themselves. Cast full of like upper C grade and B grade. You're like, oh, (laughs) he was the bad guy in like the sixth element, the Arnold Schwarzenegger film in 1999. And, you know, like. I feel like you're so right. I feel like they're all. of the caliber that they could potentially be invited to and accept an invite to the like a, the Australian Film Awards and be like, yes, who it is? One of them was <laughs> the blue from Scrubs. Was the blue character who's the father figure in the um, Marvel film with um, 
Chris, what's his name? You know, who's oh, fuck, fuck, what? Yeah, the Marvel film with Chris, what's his name? Is Guardians Marvel of the Galaxy? Film. Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah, yeah. I can never remember his name, and I can never remember <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm always like, you know, that one. It's like Avengers, but not. Um, <laughs> it it's, like um, a, it's it's basically <laughs> the Avengers. It's just not the Avengers. The other Avengers. <laughs> um, it's James Gunn is the guy that does the Scooby Doo movies. <gasps> And he's the writer of this, so it's going to be as good as the Scooby Doo. This does look so, like shit. I've got to say this, like <laughs> this, this looks like a back of the envelope trash, garbage, bullshit idea. This is one of the worst ideas I've seen so far on this podcast. Okay, so three things to love about this film before we go into it. So yes, written by James Gunn, who went on to write both Guardians of the Galaxy films. Oh no. And- <laughs> No shit, and has written the most recent Suicide Squad that actually mm. looks really good. I, I I think he's cancelled or like a soft cancel. Oh fuck, really? No, don't worry. Sorry, about it. Ruby. He sounds like a privileged white guy in Hollywood. You must be. <laughs> you must be mistaken. <laughs> You're Look, hysterical, yeah. Ruby. You are hysterical. <laughs> Horror, yeah. Don't the genre that was birthed from like Edgar Allan Poe and H.P. Lovecraft was like yeah. cancelled from the beginning. My God. Mm. Um, okay, so second reason to love this film. It is the perfect length for a film. What's a better length than 90 minutes? 89 minutes. 88. Oh, 89. <laughs> oh, 88. Okay, nice. Nice. 88 would have been good. So yeah. it's 89 minutes long, which again, perfect length for a horror movie especially, but all movies in general. But also, and this is such a silly thing, but I was re-watching clips of The Matrix the other day, and you know how The Matrix is like set in a crazy American city and it's just fucking Sydney, and it's like, oh, there's Sydney's like shitty downtown financial district. This this film is set in Bogota in Colombia and it was filmed in Bogota, Colombia. I kind of like a film that goes... It's set where it was shot. Yeah, cool, cool. Anyway, so Belco Experiment, like I said, trailer looks like shit, right? Yep. Absolutely. Like, like I, I cannot get past, like, Shag, your great creative advice from 10 years ago is push past the first idea. This is a classic <laughs> first idea with zero criticism involved. James Gunn, you've had too many people saying yes to you all your life, you privileged fucking idiot. This is trash. You suck. I'm obsessed with how polarizing Peach always is, like, at the start and end of all of the podcasts. Like, he'll just right off the bat be like, this is the worst. This is the worst one yet. Or this is my favorite film yet. And just, like, seeing that trailer, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, that looks that looks pretty cool. It looks like there's going to be some satisfying deaths. And Peach is like, nah. It's gonna be it the is worst sort of movie. the plot from Suicide Squad. I've got to say as well, do, like do our rules or we'll explode the thing in your head. Is like the Suicide Squad, Suicide Squad plot. And like this, yeah. I hate this film. It's so boring and derivative and lazy. Ugh, you suck, James Gunn. Must have been cheap to make. In fact, sorry. So it's efficient. I'll offer that compliment. True, and maybe again speaking from somebody who has seen no horror movies but has listened to every Spooko episode, um, this just sounds like a corporate saw. It, it's oh. oh my god! Like okay, brilliant. So we will get to the end of this film. Let's see if that holds up. I think that might be the best description for a film that's ever been made on this podcast. Like this, this is this is exactly what this is. This is. <laughs> Corporate saw. Like, this is exactly what it is. But anyway, all right, let's start with the Belco experiment. So it starts with Mike Milch, who's an employee of Belco Industries. 
and he's there driving no to work. There is no company in or around 2015 that has the word industries in it, full stop. <laughs> like, surely I'm right. Have you ever had a client or competitor or anything? Is that because it sounds um, scary? I think it sounds like it's 1965. <laughs> like they would have been renamed BI in 1980 and by now it'd be like binomial or fucking whatever. It does, it does sound, sound like, like a company, a company that's getting, getting interested about automobiles, automobiles. Yep. and, you know, what effect <laughs> they might have on the 1930s, 1930s economy. <laughs> so, all right. So Mike Milch, he's an employee of Belco Industries, uh, driving to work, but is stopped by street vendors selling, selling lucky handmade, handmade dolls. dolls. So, so remember, they, they are in Colombia, so... so Driving, driving through a sort of marketing sort of scene. Then there's Barry Norris, who's also of Belco Industries, arrives at the office building in Bogota, Colombia. Now, you saw this in the trailer. It's a very classic, almost like an office building out of the office, but in the middle of nowhere in Colombia, sort of basically surrounded by wasteland with a, I guess, like a bit of a sort of uh, a, uh, like an armed security force around it Mm. and that's explained quite well at the start to be like you know we're an american company operating in the developing world so we try you know we we have a security force or whatever um and that all makes sense that reads true so when barry gets to except that it's fucking racist but again that's no no no, but 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 i mean that's what happens in the world like yep no, like no, no moral lens over that. But that is a thing that happens. This is the sort of uh, scenario where uh, Fifty Cent, to bring it back to our friend and mentor, uh, our cancelled friend and mentor, former <laughs> problematic friend and mentor, fave, yeah, <laughs> um, says, "Look, like I'll just get in the car and just give me a stack of thirty grand, and I'll drive down to that market and throw it in the air, and that'll be my contribution to society." It's classy stuff. So anyway, so Barry gets to the front of the building where he finds that the local Colombian staff at the gate are being turned away, but all the Americans are being let in. So So there's there's a new new employee, employee, Danny. Danny. Uh, She's reporting for her first day on the job. And because she's the first day of the job, she gets to be the plot device where all the nuances of the building get, get mentioned. She's told that a tracking device is implanted in the base of every Belco employee's skull in case something happens to them. Shag, like, this is something we've overlooked for our Spooko Studios films. We need a character coming in being like, so what's this world all about? (laughs) 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 Be like, like, what? Everyone's gone blind. Are you serious? (laughs) What happened? An asteroid? Oh, my gosh. So what's the deal? You yeah. just, like, take your kids to this kindergarten and then you go to work? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Evan Smith, who is Belco's head security guard, does not know who the new security guards are. So there's also all these new security guards as well. And so everybody's just a bit like, there's weird stuff going on, but... Because this is corporate saw and a satire on the corporate world, everyone's a drone and they just accept all the, uh, I guess, impositions put on them because we hate our freedom and we love submitting to our corporate masters and money. Yeah. I can't get over it. This movie is corporate saw. Like, it's a satire of corporations by putting saw on, like, the office. Like, this is so funny. All right. Okay. So... Once all the employees show up, a voice on the intercom instructs them to kill two of their co-workers or else there will be consequences. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just stop there because I actually think this is such an interesting thought because if you were in a company of, say, 80 people and this happened, 
And a voice over the intercom said, you need to kill two people or more people will die. Like, what the fuck would you do? It also builds on Ruby's point, not to get too sidetracked into like basic economics, but it's like, it's a good analogy for rent seeking behavior and like a zero sum game that you guys are probably familiar with. So like if there's a pirate ship that's sunk out at sea that has $10 million worth of gold in it and it costs $4 million to send out a rescue mission, I'll spend 4 million getting my rescue mission going. So that's 4 million spent to chase 10. Shag will spend 4 million getting his rescue mission going. So that's 8 million spent to chase 10. And then Ruby will send her rescue mission off. So that's 12 million spent to chase 10. So we all have a, a finite resource to divide between ourselves and we are rent. Sorry. Sorry. And we are in a zero sum game um, of, you know, trying to divide a finite amount of goodness, a finite amount of staying alive between ourselves and just hoping we're the first ones there and rolling the dice on it. I think it's a really neat metaphor. This is a great it's movie. Like, is this like the um, trolley car puzzle? Of- it's exactly that, right? It is exactly is it? that. So you've got um, like you've got like a, a trolley or like a train on a track, and if it keeps going on the track that it's going, it'll kill four people, and you have a lever that can turn it a different direction that it'll only kill two people. And so it's like, do you choose to kill less people, but or if you like believe in fate or whatever, you're like, I shouldn't mess with fate and I should oh, just let that's it. That's awesome. Because like you're choosing two people that wouldn't have been killed otherwise to die instead of four. So I believe, and I'm, I'm sorry, sorry to, to any Buddhists who are listening, please, please correct me if this is wrong. Mm. But from my understanding, Buddha says something along the lines of one life is equal to all lives. So whether you, you kill, kill one, one person, person or you, you kill, kill 100 people, people, it's the exact same thing. So the answer to that is to not choose. Because I, I think what's amazing about this and why I do think this is corporate saw and a very good satire on corporate life is they're forced to believe that it's their choice to kill people. But in the end, it's not their choice at all. So, so in my mind, I think you just don't do anything and you let people die. In my mind would be the Buddhist answer to this. But anyway, okay, so... They ignore the announcement at first, uh, thinking it's a sick prank. But then, you would, as you like, you would, wouldn't you? You'd be like, yeah, <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> but also, imagine like thinking it's a prank, though. Like, imagine being like, oh, cl- another classic prank. <laughs> like from a the classic corporate prank. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, Stephen marketing again, isn't it? Jeez. Steve. So industrial. <laughs> but, bitch, this is why I hated, and I love you and I love Pranks. your firm. But this is why mm. I hated the prank that your firm played on April 1st to be like, the boss is quitting. It's like, how, like, everybody would believe that. How dare I they? I get it. Look, I'm there. I'm with you. I get it. We're with you, Shag, on that. <laughs> We're with you. <laughs> All right. So, so at this point, at this point, you realize that they can't actually escape because all these shutters come down over the windows mm. in, like, not the best looking CGI, but again, not an expensive film. Mm. And there, there are moments, as you saw maybe during the trailer or not, where mm. when they actually do try to leave, all of a sudden there are all these sort of soldiers around the building who basically shoot anyone who tries to escape through either the doors or the roof on top. So they are mm. actually stuck inside. So 
the set time ends and nobody's killed anyone. And because two have not been killed, four employees die when those tracking devices actually turn out to be explosives, uh, detonate and blow their heads apart. And this movie is a very, very, very gory film. And every time someone dies, it's, it's quite well done and it's quite a shock because they never, they never build up to it. Somebody will just be talking and all of a sudden, boom, the back of their head will explode outwards. All this gore and stuff will go everywhere and then they'll be dying. And lots of characters who you think you're going to be around till the end are not around till the end during this. So this happens. Our main character Mike attempts to remove his tracker with a box cutter, which again, I just don't... I'm, I'm sorry, Ruby. I don't know if this is something <laughs> I could do. Like from the back of your head, yeah. So in, in the back of your neck. So imagine taking a very sharp, small knife to the back of your neck, piercing it. So I get and but knowing where to go, so you don't like pierce your spine or something. But just make it. But, but he basically tries digging, and you know how it's like you get those sound effects, and he's like digging into like the base of his skull. But he's warned mm. by the voice who's watching everyone on cameras that he will die unless he stops. So he gives up. Lovely. Mm. So the group is told that unless 30 of them are dead within two hours, 60 will be killed. And this is where they split into two factions. One led by Mike, who's like, I don't, who takes the Buddhist route? He's like, I don't want to kill anyone, who believes there should be no killing. And one led by Barry, who intends to follow the directions in order to save himself. Barry and his group, consisting of Executive Wendell, who's played by John C. McGinley, who I keep mentioning, he's that guy that was in Scrubs and a lot of other things. Mm. But I do genuinely believe, side note, that almost every comedic actor should play a horror villain at some point because they're very good at being super expressive and that's what I want out of a horror villain. I either want a horror villain with no expression or I want them to be a pantomime villain. There's no in-between. Mike Myers or Freddy Krueger, as you might say. Mike Myers as a horror villain would be um like make sorry I'm uh, gonna say Michael Myers actually (laughs) 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 but but you know what but that's it it's Michael Myers or Mike Myers it's one of the two yes yes they're your choices I want to like Mike Myers as Michael Myers (laughs) 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 it's Halloween baby. All right, okay. Uh, or like the Shrek voice? <laughs> Ruby, as someone who is a lot closer to Zillennial culture, this is a side note, but is there any way you could explain the pop cultural fascination with Shrek? Honestly, I think about this every day because I, so many of my friends are obsessed with it. I have a bunch of friends that flew to Brisbane to go to Shrekfest. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. What is, wait, wait, wait. What is Shrekfest? It's like a, a festival that they threw and it's entirely about Shrek. So they had like cover bands doing the soundtrack. They had a DJ at the end where everyone was dancing. <laughs> Um, they had onion eating competitions. Everyone dresses up. Like I, I think the thing is, it's it's camp. Like it's just so ridiculous, and it is like a perfect kind of blend of like a great story, actually good jokes that adults and kids will enjoy, and then it's also just like stupid and ridiculous. And the soundtrack, oh my goodness, Shrek Two soundtrack. 
did not need to go that hard. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. We are in the building. Uh, the employees are split mm. into two factions. One it's led surrounded by, Mike. by vibranium, apparently, because James Gunn has no imagination. <laughs> so that's good. <laughs> so Mike is leading the pacifists, and Barry is leading the ones who want to kill everybody, including Wendell, who is his psychopathic. I guess, executive assistant who's still trying to suck up to the boss again. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying the satire is super blunt in this, but because it's not like, it's not clearly a satire, but it is clearly about losing yourself in corporate culture is basically a dead end. I just wish that more people who had zero fucking experience how offices work would write fictional things about offices. I feel like James Gunn's just spot on. He's really just knocking it out of the park. All right. So, so the, the bad group want to go to the armory. So because we're in like, I, I don't really understand armory. this, but so because it's an office building in Columbia, there's a security section with a whole bunch of guns locked behind closed doors. And our security guard is the only one who has access to it. But Mike and his group, including his girlfriend, Leandra, and a whole bunch of others, there's so many names in this, and I'm not going to say them because most of them die, uh, try to hang banners from the roof as a call to help. But soldiers outside shoot at them. Barry, Wendell, and Terry ambush the group in the stairway, kill the security guard uh, with a knife to the stomach, and take his keys to the armory. And this is one of the first kind of shocking moments where it's like, oh, wow, they're actually just going to kill people in cold blood. Because there's a moment where the security guard's like, hey, don't do this. I'm the security guard. And he's just your classic hubby security guard. And he just gets stabbed brutally. And everyone's like, oh, fuck, this is real. (sighs) So with his group now armed, Barry and Wendell select 30 people, including Mike and Peggy, forcing them to kneel in a line and they begin executing them with gunshots to the back of the head. And again, like it's a horror comedy satire. And this scene is so brutal and so hard to watch. And I think there's one moment where one of the employees is like, you can't do this. You can't weird, blah, blah, blah. And is shot mid sentence. Like it's, it's quite full on, right? Danny, who has been hiding in the basement, sees what is happening and shuts off the building lights before Mike and several others can be killed. Remember, Mike's the leader of the pacifists. The employees immediately run for cover as Barry and his group start firing, killing several more people. However, Bradley and Antonio are ganged upon and killed by the employees. During this, Danny goes into the ele- elevator shaft with Roberto. Okay, so there's, there's lots of people going around, but oh basically gosh. a whole bunch of people have been killed by the evil faction. Uh, and that's- I wonder what Common would make of all this. <laughs> Actually, you know what I fucking hate? And I love the song, but you know that common song? I think it's called Testify. It's like, either let me testify. You accuse me of it. You accuse me of it. And it's like a two yep. and a half minute song. And the song's about like, this girl oh, takes yeah, the this stand. Oh, yeah, this is so fucked. Yeah. About like how her boyfriend was bad and she wants to put him away in prison. But then at the end, it turned out the girlfriend framed him and she was evil all along. And it's just like, What? <laughs> common sucks that song like yeah like that story uh yeah yeah i hate you common this is an anti-common podcast that's what we call a good for her song (laughs) good for her i know it's like gone girl at the end you're like oh good for her (laughs) go get it go 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 off protagonist They hate to see a girl boss winning. They hate seeing a girl boss winning. <laughs> so Barry and Wendell hunt down the fleeing employees as the voice informs them that there are only 29 have been killed. And 
they were asked to kill 30 before the time limit was up or 60 will die. So the voice states that 31 more people will die, including a whole bunch of the people we saw. So there is this wonderful scene in a cafeteria. And I say wonderful, and I sound awful when I say it, where one of the characters kind of goes, like classic horror movie logic, goes a little bit insane with everything that's happening and almost goes into a state of like, None of this is real. I don't believe anything's real. And we see from his viewpoint a cafeteria where all of these people are hiding behind desks and all of a sudden their heads just explode one by one to this soundtrack. So it's like... It's, it's, it's nuts and it's unbelievable, but it's also a pretty amazing scene. I love that the voice is sort of like a commercial litigation client where it's like, tell them they've got till 4 p.m. tomorrow to get us all the money. And then, you know, like five fast forward, it's like, okay, so we're going to go to court. We're going to sue them. It's like, no, give them, like, you know, update them on the position and tell them we really are going to. We're really, really going to go ahead and oof, tell them we're grumpy. This voice. Okay, hold up. I, that sounds really familiar. And so for a second there, I was like, wait, have I seen this movie? I haven't seen the movie, <gasps> but uh, what's that movie? Uh, where they like all wear suits and they're like spies and stuff. And Samuel L. Jackson is the bad guy and he has a list. Oh, oh, King Kingman, Kingsman. Kingsman. Like I'm pretty sure at the end of Kingsman, they all like all their heads blow up and it's like some like orchestral piece. It's like do 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 do. I can't believe this has become a cliched scene. I can't believe <laughs> somehow by 2021. To an orchestral score, people's heads blowing up in rhythm has become a cliche, but there you go. Didn't this happen in Suspiria as well? You go whisper in the ear? Yeah, but it happened to a Tom York score. So it was all sort of like, everything in a Like, Suspiria is amazing, except Tom York should not have sung. He should have left them as instrumentals. Tom York's voice, like, it's weird, but would ruin any horror film. You can't have a horror film but have Tom York being like, capitalism isn't as good as we thought it was. I've got some questions. (laughs) (laughs) All right, okay, okay. So there's only 16 people left after bombs in heads explode, you know, 31 other people. And so they are then informed by The Voice that as a final task... The employee who has killed the most people within an hour will be spared. And this is why I get back to that Buddhism point where it's like there was never a choice. There was only ever going to be one person left. So whether you killed 30 people or you killed two was exactly the same because you ended up killing some people. Does it turn out to be an experiment of any kind? Because I'm starting (laughs) to be like, I'm not sure. Like, I'm not sure there's a scientific method being applied here. Also, um, I had this thought about last week's podcast the one where you're doing ready or not yes yeah. wait is that the name of it yeah this is a similar vibe like what kind of world do you want to live in where like as soon as you go outside you're gonna be like locked away for murder oh yeah exactly. good point, good yeah, point. I'm like yeah congratulations although peach peach legal advice mm. if can't I... wait to give some free off the cuff legal <laughs> advice about yeah. colombian law okay no 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 mm. i am in a building with my work they've mm. closed all the blinds and they've told us we have to kill each other um, mm. to get out alive. And they've already proven that if we don't kill people, they blow the tracking devices that they implanted of our own mm. free will in mm. our heads. Mm. 
can I come out, and I've murdered some people to get out, can I come out and be like, well, I mean, how could it be murder because I was asked to do it by... Or is the Oh, my God, am I learning? Is this a thing where it's like, I can't... That's not a verbal contract with the voice because I can't go into a contract to do an illegal act. <gasps> so, yes, am I learning? Uh, you're going well, but, but criminal law and civil law are blurring there, so... Okay. So they couldn't sue you for breach of contract because I like step one. So that's fine because you can't contract to do an elite. You can't have a binding contract to do an illegal act. But I think there's some um, defense to unlawful killing that's about coercion or self-defense or something like that. Surely a reasonably creative uh, lawyer could work up a defense. Not me. I'd be like, yeah, man, lock them away. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get back to my my advice about corporations. But, uh, yeah, someone will be able to figure that out. Not me, though. All right. So at this point, a bunch of them go into an elevator shaft, which is sort of like a side project. It's not super important. Um, <laughs> We've uh, got 88 minutes to fill, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's a romance scene happens off scene. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. There's, there's a romance that we'll get to in, at the end of this where you'll be like, it would have helped watching the film to understand why this moment happened. But anyway, so let me get through this. So Barry finds Danny and Roberto in the elevator shaft. Danny escapes while Roberto is crushed and killed. Elevator shaft deaths are gross, but also it always just looks like a dummy. Like, it's very hard to put a body and show it crushed between levels. Uh, Leandra finds two employees, Marty and Chet, collecting the unexploded trackers from the heads of people who have died by other methods. They tell her that they are planning to use them to blow up the wall and get outside. However, they are killed by Wendell, who's the guy from Scrubs who's now decided that he is going to be the winner because he's just going to get the most kills. So he's gotten a machete. No, what's the name? It's not a machete, a cleaver. He's got a cleaver. And he's just cleaving the shit out of people and it's awful. But I guess the other thing is as well, it's like they're all still wearing their office attire and their office attire is slowly getting more bloodied and more disheveled as they go along. Well, it's revealing the the dark heart of corporate life. (laughs) Fuck. So... Leandra then kills Wendell with an axe to the face and Wendell's killed a lot of her friends by now so she just like keeps smashing the axe in his face and it looks a bit fake but it's also really gross. Uh, Leaving the final six survivors, Vince, Mike, Barry, Danny, Leandra and the cafeteria lady, Liesl, who is killed shortly afterwards. She's introduced and killed within half a sentence in this Wikipedia synopsis. James Gunn would love the platform. It'd be his favourite film. (laughs) He'd be like, oh, what an amazing metaphor. Rest in peace, cafeteria lady. You're my (laughs) favourite. So is it now they've changed it and there can only be one person alive or is it now like a warlord award where it's like whoever... (laughs) Is this a Mario Kart reference that I'm missing? (laughs) No, I'm just just saying, like... No, no, it is, you're right, it's Wario, so they've changed it completely. And yeah, no, no, they've changed the rules, and now, as I was saying before, it's like, at the start, they're like, you have all these choices, but there were no choices, there was only ever going to be one, Mm. and it's the person who is alive and who has killed the most people at the end gets to walk out alive. Oh, you know he's not going to walk out. Well, well, wait for this, so... (laughs) So there's a bunch of people left, including good guy Mike and bad guy Barry. Barry shoots Vince and Danny, killing them, and also shoots Leandra. With her dying breath, she proclaims her love for good guy Mike. 
okay. That's interesting. <laughs> I don't remember. There is like a love subplot in this film yeah, um, amidst sure all the good. gore and social commentary. So in a rage... Is there any social commentary? <laughs> like, uh, you, you know, is anything actually being said in this film? I feel like the social commentary is um, just like, in the future, we're going to have 5G towers and we're going to have <laughs> microchips in our brain and, you know, they can blow up the company at any time. I think that's right, right? And I, I sometimes worry about films having a troubling message, but I think... That's a wrong way of looking at media. Media doesn't tell people what to think. Media reflects what people think. So if they have a subplot in here about tracking devices that are, are told they're good for us but are actually bad, that just reflects the fear of everyone in Byron who refuses to get vaccinated. Oh, I feel like, look, not, not, not wanting to actually have a real conversation about it too much, I feel like media can pave the way for certain attitudes to be more pervasive. So like your conspiracy theorist... Like, you know the psychology of the conspiracy theorists, that there's a degree of paranoia to it, but the degree of superiority as well, of like, I'm not one of the sheeple, man. I know that they're really spraying the crops with fucking mind control poison or whatever. And I do feel like irresponsible messaging. And, you know, if you think about um, the way we go speaking about people who die by suicide and that kind of thing, like, I think... I think there is a possibility for like irresponsible messaging to really fuck things up. And if I was ever to put someone in charge of being responsible for messaging, I think James Gunn would be near the bottom of the list and he's, he's done a bad job here for society. Well, I would say that, again, coming back to the fact that this is corporate saw, this film is basically saying that corporate life is negatively competitive and zero by just and, and and we submit ourselves to rules that we don't have to. I think I think it would be saying those two things uh, again, coming from someone who's clearly never actually worked in an office. Yep. Right down to the fact that he called it Belco Industries. Yeah. <laughs> and James Gunn already told us that media is bad in Scooby Doo Two. <laughs> <laughs> when they like cut up the interview where uh what is it freddie goes you want me to say i think coolsville sucks and then he cuts it so it's like i think coolsville sucks <laughs> as a kid i was like oh my god the media can just change anything <laughs> all right there you go peach proved your point uh, uh irresponsible you know uh, media can do just don't things. edit this out to say i love james gunn <laughs> all right all right so if you're ready for a final bit of symbolism in a rage the last two people left are mike and barry representing not wanting to kill people and representing wanting to kill people but in the end one has to kill each other so barry gets the better of him at first however mike fends barry off and then using a tape dispenser ends with bludgeoning Barry to death by just smashing his face again and again with the tape dispenser. Which I'm not saying it's symbolism for anything in particular, but it's definitely vague symbolism. Mm. Uh. <laughs> well, I like the idea of um, how you were talking about um, like satisfying kills. Like, I feel like it's kind of cool that in the corporate movie they have corporate deaths. Yes, yes. Like, I've yes. stabbed someone. I, they probably don't exist anymore. Again, I don't work in an office. But, like, those, like, long metal pointers. Like, you could stab someone in the eye with one of those. But anyway, so he kills Mike. The building is then unsealed. And as he is the last survivor, the soldiers escort him to the hangar next door. 
There he meets the owner of The Voice, who says that they're part of an international organization studying human behavior. <laughs> and what did they learn? <laughs> well, no, that's the thing. It's like there's so many ways to study human behavior. And there's so many ways you can model things without having to actually do them. Is that the end of the film? No, no, wait. There's a bit more. There's a bit more. <sighs> so as he and his colleagues begin to question Mike about his emotional and mental state, Mike notices a panel of switches that corresponds to the AD employees' names, realizing that they're the switches they push to blow someone's head off. Now, realizing that, he's like, oh, okay, I realize that. (laughs) No, but this is actually a cool moment. Okay. Because then the voice, like, there's some moment where the voice is like, you know, like, you don't get to ask us questions. We ask you the questions. He's like, oh, well, you guys are all about to explode or something like that. And he's like, why? And then there's like a very quick flashback to as soon as he came in, he was struggling with the guards and the voice. And while he was struggling, he had those unexplained, unexploded bombs and he just subtly put them in the pockets of all the soldiers and the voice at the same time. Uh, and so then he gets up from the chair, goes over to the thing and starts just pressing switches at random. And then everybody's heads explodes except the voice. He grabs one of the guns. He's got the gun to the voice. The voice attempts to reason with Mike and, and, according to Wikipedia, appeal to his moral beliefs. But Mike <laughs> shoots him. He then leaves the warehouse in a state of shock. And then here's the twist ending because we zoom out and we realise Mike's on a screen with hundreds of other survivors all across the world, all on screens, all being like, what the fuck just happened? And a new voice emerges that says, end stage one commence stage two and that's the 89th minute and the end of the belco experiment from 2016 boo that sucked it's like the hunger games i mean look it's basically the hunger games so derivative like you can't just stitch six films together and be like well fucking there you go (laughs) like i like there's nothing fun or good or cool or interesting about this movie I, i i i just don't know what what we're meant to say Except for the cast, which which was very fun. Um, I, I don't know. Shag, was it even fun to watch? It's super fun to watch. It's a very. It's like James Gunn. He, he like, like as someone who can whose range goes from the other Avengers to Scooby Doo. Like, of course, it's great. Mm. It seems ridiculous, but then also like, I could imagine like Elon Musk doing this in like two years. <laughs> He's probably already got chips in their head (laughs) And we're going to have to deal with all of these op-eds Being like why it's good That that Elon Musk forced 80 people to kill each other The will be like Fucking calm down Relatives of the brave (laughs) Calm down braved (laughs) Look that was corporate sore Thank you so much for joining us, uh, yeah. Ruby. Cannot wait to have you back. Once yes, again, Ruby Riles, uh, where can we find you on socials? Ruby Riles. That's that's my Instagram. My TikTok is Ruby Miles. And, you know, if you're on there following Spooko TikTok, follow me too. Yeah, you probably are following Spooko TikTok. It's pretty <laughs> yeah. popular. Obviously. <laughs> Sick. Thanks, thanks, Ruby. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe, and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?
I love James Gunn.